Hello, folks, and welcome to another episode of On My Mind. I'm Shelley Griffith, and I'm super delighted to have a dear, long-term friend and fraternity brother with me today. Many of you all will know him, and we're going to talk about a lot of things. And uh, welcome, Stephen Pell. Hi, glad to be here. We're just tickled to have you. And start out, Steve, if you will, as I do with all my guests, uh, some background, family, kind of where you were raised, those kind of things. Well, I was born in Cleveland, just a scant 30 miles from here. Grew up there, lived in Cleveland through my sixth grade elementary year. And then my mom and I moved to Chattanooga the summer between. So I started seventh grade at uh, Richard Hardy Junior High in Chattanooga. And then uh, went to high school at Chattanooga City, and then moved up to Athens the day after I graduated. From there, after you had graduated from City, and of course, I was an old East Ridge guy in Chattanooga, a lot of rivalry with City. Uh, When you got here, take us the next steps from the time you got into the Athens area. Well, my dad, uh, well, my mom and dad divorced when I was four. So dad was living in Athens already, and he owned a business, the Athens Shoe Repair. And he told me that if uh, I wanted to come and stay with them, that he would pay for college, which since there was the war going on, I thought, well, that's better than being drafted for sure. So <laughs> I did, and he did. I stayed at Wesleyan a couple of years, and only to find that I was not ready for college, <laughs> like like most kids. Exactly. And um, so I, I was started painting myself into a corner with relationships and obligations. And I thought, well, I need a chance to pull back and process all these thoughts and basically grow up a little bit. So I joined the Marine Corps. I gave up mm-hmm. my student deferment and joined the Marine Corps. It worked. Sure enough, I came back grown up <laughs> at least more than I was when I left. Well, and that was a time, as we all recall, uh, that that you could join up, you could stay in, deferred. And and, uh, in the Marines now, you did serve, and we're going to do another episode, folks, on this, but you served in country in Vietnam, and and the the length of the tour, Steve, was how long? It was a year. A year, okay. And then came back and got to uh, college again, right? Right. I continued college at UT in Knoxville. Because while I was overseas, I ordered brochures from the different universities because I really wanted to be a recording studio engineer. And I could not find any place that taught that. The closest that I saw was the communications department at UT. So uh, that's where I went and wound up with a degree in broadcast management, but no recording engineer. And it's probably for the best because... uh, it helps to have perfect pitch or at least pretty close. And I don't. So I'm trying to make some of the worst songs ever to come out of Nashville. Who knows? I love it. Oh, that's good. So when you finished at UT with that degree, take us the next step. Where did you wind up starting to work? My first job uh, after graduation was the Tennessee Wesleyan. My father-in-law, Charlie Bellows, was uh, pretty good friends with uh, Dr. Charles Turner, the president of Wesleyan at the time. And, and I'm pretty sure he said, that, hey, I'm not giving my son-in-law a job, so, <laughs> so they'll come back to Athens. Uh, for whatever reason, uh, they did hire me. And I stayed at Wesleyan almost two years uh, as the publicity director. Well, and, and 
knowing knowing uh, your in-laws, wonderful, wonderful people. And, and take us, if you will, getting into that because you and Betsy and, and I, I have been friends for all these goodness. We're pushing 60 years now, brother. And yes. So, But take us through that because I think it's a fun story how you actually met Betsy officially. Well, if all all the uh, getting a, a part-time job at Profits and, and meeting Bill Grateful, getting hired by him and um, working there uh, led to me getting married, basically, <laughs> because I was uh, working in the shoe department as a clerk one Friday afternoon, and this gorgeous girl walks through the store going from right to left, a couple of aisles over, headed back toward the fabric department in Profits, if <laughs> old-timers might remember where that is or was. And so I was just awestruck. And so I asked <laughs> one of my co-workers, Louise Land, I said, who is that? And she said, well, that's Betsy Bellis. I said, do you know anything about her? And she said, yeah, uh, uh, she's dating somebody, one of my nephews or something. And I didn't pay a lot of attention after that. And I, I said, well, you let her know that if she ever breaks up, that there's somebody that would really like to meet her. And Louise uh, uh, had a couple of sons, uh, Dean and Gene Land, and Gene and Betsy were real good friends. So Gene carried that message back to Betsy. Now, it was Friday afternoon. Saturday morning, in walks Betsy Bellows into Profits, and she comes right straight back to the shoe department. <laughs> where I, I raced another guy to the front so I could be the one to wait on her and tried and tried and tried to sell her a pair of shoes. And she's tough. <laughs> no sale. However, uh, I did get a date for the next day for Sunday, and Betsy's uh, parents, well, she and her parents, uh, were members of Trinity Church by Wesleyan. And so our first date was um, church at uh, Trinity. <laughs> And we held hands under the songbook. And I thought, hey, I might have a chance here. (laughs) As as I ever did on a first date. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) So, uh, but that's that's how we actually came together uh, on the first date. We dated about two years. And part of the the pressure I was feeling, uh, I wanted to marry her, but I was still kid enough to be scared to death over that prospect. And I just got cold feet and a chicken heart, and I backed out, and I said, that's when I said, I got to go grow up a little bit. And aren't you glad you did? I am. It was a gamble. <laughs> it was a, it could have gone either way. And, you know, because everybody said, well, you're going, you're going to be, a, you know, a, a straight shot overseas. I'm going, well, no, they promised me electronics. <laughs> uh, folks, don't ever listen to a recruiter for the military. Just, I mean, whatever they say, take the other side. The right. <laughs> exactly. When they recruited us, when I was a senior in medical school, I'll never forget, Steve told us many times, the folks in line, the recruiters, started with Marines, Army, Navy, Air Force. And the Marine, somebody asked him, what are the odds on going to Vietnam? And he had a pretty significant percentage. So did the Army guy. The Navy guy said, no, 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 you'll be on a ship. You may be supporting, but you won't be in country. Air Force guy knew that he had us. He says, nah, you don't have to go anywhere near there unless you're flying on a plane. And so all of us just said, well, where do we sign? And that sounds like chicken, folks. But I mean, back then, you if you could avoid it, you avoided it. Absolutely. So we did at that point. Now, tell us about 
uh, family, you and Betsy and, and the family? Well, let's see. Let me uh, take a couple of notes here. Let me go through this so I don't forget anybody. <laughs> uh, well, family now uh, is Betsy and me and our son David and his wife Karen and my sister Donna and her husband Jack. There are five grandchildren and ten great-grandchildren. Uh, we lost a grandson to drowning back in 1999. And we lost our younger son, Michael, in a car accident in 2012. Mm. Uh, David lives here in Athens. My sister Donna is a nurse at Park West, and she and her family live in Teleco Village. And if you throw in a nephew and a niece and their families, that's pretty much our family. Well, good-sized reunion. And well, it's, you know, ten great-grandchildren is pretty... I never thought wow. we would, uh, you know, get in double figures on that. Because one one grandson's not married and uh, doesn't have any kids. So wow. our granddaughter Haley has three boys, and our grandson Lucas out in Texas has three boys. Unbelievable! That is wonderful, and so so sorry as you and I and Betsy have talked for the loss of the loved ones. Uh, just so tough, but. But to have your expanded family now is such a blessing, and being able to see them. And take us, Steve, now, you're, you've got the best radio voice of anybody I've heard. I've told you that before. Why, thank you. Yes. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> you couldn't resist. But it, it's so good. And then with some of the career, with the radio, certainly take us there, take us through the the video career that, that you and Betsy were doing, and catch us up to speed there. Okay. I left Wesleyan in uh, the summer of 74. And that, that at the end of that semester, uh, the president of the college left, the dean of students left, the director of finance left. And so kind of felt like we were on board the Titanic at that <laughs> exactly. point. I and well, I, remember. I had hired a company called Olin Mills out of Chattanooga to come do our uh, school pictures for the annual, the senior pictures and, and all that stuff, because uh, I and, and a couple of uh, interns I had working for me were doing all the photographs for the yearbook and the school paper. Mm -hmm. So when the guy from Olin Mills discovered that I had that skill set, he offered me a job. I went down, talked to him, took it, took the Olin Mills uh, portrait class and, and all that stuff and then was assigned to uh, Warner Robins, Georgia. Mm -hmm. And so uh, we lived in Warner Robins, but I did a lot of work that first year, 74 through 70, middle of 75, in the Atlanta area because oh, yeah. our, our boss lived right outside of Atlanta and the fellow that I worked with a lot was in Lithonia. Mm -hmm. So we would we would meet up at these different schools, and that was like say seventy four seventy five, and he is my best friend to this day. Mm -hmm. Fred Reeves lives in Kentucky, not not too far from Murray State where he went to school, and but we we talk not every week but often, and we exchange you know text and private messages a lot. Mm -hmm. So that was the best thing that happened to me was getting my my lifetime best friend out of that mm -hmm. deal. And then after Warner Robins, I was transferred up to Murfreesboro, based in Murfreesboro, and, and my territory went from Cookville to Pulaski to Clarksville. I don't like to drive, <laughs> basically, and I was putting a lot of miles on me and, and our car. And so did that for about three, three and a half years. In 1978, I was, again, at the crossroads. This was, burnout was coming on strong for the, mm -hmm. the 
photography stuff. So good friend, Johnny Kaufman, called me up while we were in Murfreesboro, and he said, there's an opening at WLAR if you're interested. So I called up and talked to the manager at that time, a fellow named Bill Matthews, real nice guy. Mm -hmm. Went over, talked to him, and got hired, just took the job. So I worked at LAR for almost two years. And then uh, Jim Slider was building the FM station in town, WJSQ. And as it got close to completion, um, he started hiring people. And I was the first one he hired November of 79 to uh, work at JSQ. And in fact, some may argue, but I think I thought of the Christmas in stereo. The first first Christmas <laughs> that we had on the radio station, we promoted Christmas music in stereo with, you know, very limited interruption, this kind of thing. And oh they still do it to this day. Way ahead of your time back then. That was great. But, and folks, you can hear Steve's voice, like I say, it just, and for me, who has the obvious country terrible voice to listen to these guys is just awesome you know but uh but then you all after a time uh as that began to sort of wind down was that soon after that you and betsy started the video slash photography not yet yet. At, at the same time i worked at jsq betsy and i started a photography studio okay and so we we did that in addition to uh radio stuff because, you know, back in those days, you tried to, tried to eke out all the money you could from different folks. So we had that for 10 years, actually. And so at, at that point, she was offered a job at Life Care Center, and uh, I got a job at Textron. We thought, you know, enough of this. We'll just let other people yeah. pay us for a while. <laughs> so she did that for five or six years, six or seven maybe. And I, I worked at Textron five years to the day. And it's lucky for me because I walked out fully vested in my retirement one day sooner. And I think my manager at the time checked the calendar and, and knew what was up because I went in and said, uh, I quit. He said, you can't quit. He said, take two weeks off. You got vacation coming, take two weeks off. So I did. I came back. I said, okay, now can I quit? And he said, nope, two more weeks, take two more weeks. So uh, I went back and I said, now? He said, okay, now. So hmm. I went in and talked to the HR people, and the guy said, well, five years to the day. How lucky. <laughs> and I went, yeah. <laughs> Very good. Nice manager. You yeah, he was a wonderful oh, guy. Gosh. John Sinkins from um, Michigan. Wonderful guy. Wow. That's great. And then when you followed that, where was the next step in life? Well, we, uh, we actually sold our house here in Athens and moved to Nashville for four years. And we had a, uh, a townhouse in Antioch for about three years. And then the last year we were there, we moved to 17th Avenue. Right, oh, right yeah, in right the music row area and next to Vanderbilt and, yeah. and all the, the restaurants there around Vanderbilt. We didn't have to drive anywhere. Mm-hmm. Once we got to the office slash uh, apartment, we didn't have to. Mm-hmm. I could walk uh, to get rejected by the different publishers. <laughs> it didn't cost me any gas. <laughs> And you were writing at the time. I was. Music. And 16th Avenue, correct me if I'm wrong, that's the big studio avenue. So, well, but yeah, everything's right. Well, it's part of the square. It's the actually square, Music yeah. Square. Music Square. And right. 17th is one of the legs yes, on, the, on exactly, the square. Exactly. Well, I got 
and I'm, I'm like that. I'm like a dog that chases cars or, you know, or like flashy stuff, chrome hubcaps back in the day, that kind of thing. Uh, and so I got distracted. I got a chance to go to work for an uh, independent film company. Mm-hmm. And the, the lure for me was, well, he's going to need songs for his soundtrack mm-hmm. for this movie or this and others. And so uh, I went to work as a, as a grip and an extra and um, trying to feed him songs. And, and actually he accepted one of the, uh, one of my songs as a title song to this movie called the forgotten. And I don't know if, if he ever finished it or not. He was, he was real big on getting started. And then if his, (laughs) if I guess if his benefactors kind of got skittish or dried up, they just quit. He never spent his own money on anything. So that's the, that was the secret of his success. (laughs) And to your knowledge, it never got, out as, as far as I know, but the, the, the other great thing for me was, um, uh, I met a fellow that I'm still friends with in Nashville, the one, one guy left who is an actor and a writer and, uh, Tommy Barnes and just a, a super nice guy. So I, I look at these different episodes in our life as far as what friend did I pick up or what yeah. knowledge and, and I learned how to edit video with those people. Right. Now, let me tell you, trial by fire. My first video that I edited was from a group of three uh, folks wearing cowboy outfits, yodeling, <laughs> yodeling. And so I'd be trying to match up lips because, you know, there's no, there's no sound on the music video. You got to match up the music to it oh, and trying man. to match up the kind of stuff. And so the, the owner would walk by and he said, oh, you're a little early on that one. How do you know? And so it was the longest, (laughs) longest job of my life, I think, because uh, I finally called Tommy over and I said, help me. I can't can't make heads or tails of this stuff. What a visual, Steve. Just sitting here looking. And just, yeah. The yodelers. Oh, my gosh. It was the longest two or three minute song that's ever been made. For for your entire life. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) Did that convince you you did not want to be an editor of video? Or? Well, no. It just, it, it, was, just it was such a challenge. It was a challenge, yeah. and, and I know you'll agree that <laughs> the most rewarding feeling you'll have is when you complete a challenging project. Because a lot of these uh, weddings that we videotaped or Junior Miss, I'd get about halfway through it and just realize, oh, no. Yeah. This is impossible. Yeah. I'm going to be found out as the fraud I am because <laughs> this will never, ever get done. Yes. And then when it did yeah. get done, it's, yeah, I did a happy dance. But, but you're right. That's a great point. And for our listeners, challenging can be extremely rewarding. And you have to look at it in the right way. I will say that fear of failure mm-hmm. is a terrible thing. And I've, I've let it get the best of me on more than one occasion because I'm not a salesman. I've, I've tried to be a salesman, like selling shoes. Uh, <laughs> didn't quite work out. Tried to sell cars at Heritage Pontiac for oh, about wow. six months or eight months and worked on straight commission. So after our savings ran out, I had to go get a real job. The real job. Uh, but, no. uh, you know, and I've, I've tried. I tried uh, selling uh, TV ads for Comcast. Uh, that worked marginally, but I sold radio ads for the radio station. And I found out that if you would do a sample commercial and take it to somebody and let them listen to it, and that gave you something to work from. If you just mm-hmm. went out and just spoke words and said air, like, oh. okay, what are you talking about, radio commercial? 
So if you if you had a tape with you and you got to play them, uh, then as well, I don't like the first or I don't like the last or that's okay or you know some place to negotiate from. Exactly. So yeah. uh, I, I learned <laughs> the main thing I learned about salesmanship was that I'm not one. Right. Uh, I can talk about stuff, and I can if I'm excited about something, I can pump that up. But when it comes to the closer, you know the sale this the sales thing, you've got to have the closing, the call to action. Well, and you and I are both good talkers. We're, we're able to talk to a lot of people. We know a lot of people, but I, too, don't consider myself ever being able to sell something. And interestingly, I worked at a shoe store one or two Christmases when I was at Westland, uh-huh. and I realized that while it was fun meeting people, that was not the career I needed yeah. to choose and, by and any means. No offense, no offense. Yeah, that's but, good information to have, though. Yeah. You need a yardstick to yeah. measure your life by. Absolutely. That's a great point. Uh, you really do. And then seeking that next level. Now, because of your writing and, and stuff that you've done a good job with, take us into what you're involved in now uh, but that we've been talking about, which I think is very fascinating. Well, let me let me take one quick step back to let you know that I wrote my first song lyric in Vietnam in 1969. Oh. And we were, normally we had to march out to wherever we were going and turn around and march back. But for some reason, we got a ride on a six-by, a big, big military truck. Uh, and I don't know, there I guess at least one squad, maybe two going out to the bush. And... I just looked around and, and for some reason the the phrase a tender moment came to mind. Mm. And so I wrote lyrics out to a tender moment uh, on a scrap of paper that I had with me uh, and stuck it in my pocket and then sent those lyrics to a fellow in Boston that they advertised in the back of uh, Stars and Stripes newspaper, mm-hmm. that kind of thing, you know, send your uh, song to us and we'll do it for you. So. I did, the fellow in Boston, and he sent me back a 45 RPM record. Didn't send me, sent Betsy a 45 RPM record of that song. Wow. And she thinks it's still in a cedar chest. I, I haven't seen it in 50 years, so I don't know. <laughs> and it's not a it's not a real 45. It's like one of those acetate, yes. you know, just a almost a, like a prototype of a 45. Do you have the lyrics somewhere available, I, or they're gone? They're, I have no Long idea. Gone. Yeah, okay. I have no earthly wow. idea. But then when uh, songwriting kicked in for me was, I guess I was I had been at JSQ for, I don't know, six months or so, and, and a new fella came in uh, to work on the, the air called Tim Barris. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And uh, Tim, as it turns out, is one of the best uh, singers, uh, musicians, and arrangers I've ever known. He just... There was just nothing he could not do mm-hmm. around the song. And so um, I was working on a, <laughs> I was up on a ladder trying to fix a downspout at our house on Forest Avenue. And a bumblebee flew right by me, mm-hmm. right, just right by my face. And I just, I listened to the hum of his wings. You know, everything's a song to me. <laughs> and that became my, my first song from, the eggs. Everything's a song to me. All I do and all I see and everything has a melody, you know, that kind of thing. So, yeah. uh, and then I showed it to Tim and he took it in the production room and came out a few minutes later with a song. Goodness. And um, 
we worked together for several years and, and uh, over in that, well, we had, we started making pilgrimages over to Nashville while we still were here in Athens before I moved over there, you know, trying to learn the ropes. And we had some friends over there, well, uh, Kirk Jelly Roll Johnson being uh, one of the main mm-hmm. ones. And he introduced me around. In, in fact, uh, Betsy and I went to his wedding reception and I sat, got to sit and drink a beer with Tony Rotter. Oh, yeah. And just talk about the ways of the world. And it was, uh, I thought, okay, I have arrived. <laughs> well, yeah. the old lack of salesmanship kicked in. And I just never never got to the right place, right time combo. Because in Nashville, any place there's money, like Hollywood or New York, whatever, there's big money involved. There is big pressure. Mm. And... Uh, you have to be good. You have to you have to be able to perform when they look, do notice you. But there has to be that opportunity to be noticed. Mm. And you know, I, like I say, I kept getting distracted. And we started a little demo recording studio with a sixteen track reel to reel for songwriters. Mm-hmm. And we stayed under the radar of the big guys. I mean, we could we could do demos for you know fifty bucks or a hundred bucks or something. Mm-hmm. And these other places were were a whole lot higher than that. So we, we drained off the, the new guys that didn't have a whole lot of resources mm. and uh, come to find out uh, you need to get cash from songwriters <laughs> because if you let them out the door with their demo, <laughs> you're not going to see them again until they need another demo. Exactly. And so oh. we would uh, we, we'd offer a discount for cash, but if they didn't have the cash, they didn't get the song. Well, so, which is great. My short, my short introduction, like you were talking about, was a gentleman here, still a good friend, Don Self. For some reason, Don knew every backup musician in Nashville. Don't ask me how. <laughs> and he introduced me to a guy, and, and we went over, saw them record. These were the Glazer brothers back mm, then. Okay. Great recording session. And then Don took me to the most famous place that anybody that listens that knows country music, Tootsie's Orchid Lounge. Sat down, had a beer, had a great day. Tootsie's is completely different now. They've remodeled the whole place. It's not anywhere near like it used to be. And I thought I had gone to heaven. And my demo made it into a stack of some 10,000 tapes. Mm -hmm. Not one word was ever produced. And I did not get upset. I had a good day job as a physician. (laughs) But I know what you're talking about. you got to have something somewhere. Yeah, because, I mean, everybody is running around trying to promote themselves, their songs, (laughs) their projects, their ideas. And it takes a monumental effort to get somebody to stop long enough uh, to notice you that, I mean, a real publisher or a real label. Now, there are those folks that we euphemistically call the sharks <laughs> that would help, help relieve you of your money. And I have to confess, I got shark bit uh, three good times over there for about five grand a pop. And Betsy warned me every time. She's a very good judge of character, and I'm not. So uh, after the after the third one of those, she said, have you learned anything? <laughs> you said yes, dear. I said, well, I've, I've realized we're out of money. Now I'm going to have to go back to work for a living. <laughs> Third time as a job. Yeah, because we sold our house uh, in 94 here and then moved to Nashville and stayed there for like, say, mm-hmm. almost four, four years. <laughs> and But so I, that's the other reason I started working for that independent film company because there was a little money coming in. Yeah, exactly. And then the, the songwriter demos helped. But <laughs> the big turning point from my Nashville experience came when the first time we became grandparents. Mm-hmm. We found that out. They were here in Athens and Betsy just 
came up and said, you know what? We are too far away from that baby. I'm moving back to Athens and you're welcome to join me. <laughs> so the next day we started closing up our shop, our paradigm productions and there you uh, go. moved back to Athens. Been here ever since. And this is it. And we're delighted that <laughs> you made that decision. And, You're stuck and, with me. <laughs> and, and she convinced you, yes. Oh, uh, that, that's good. She uh, can be persuasive. Yes. She, and she's very calm about it. That's what she I is. like. She's really calm. Oh, yeah. Now, take us, Steve, move from the, the music thing and take us into your, your becoming a novelist in the different sense that we're now seeing in, in 2023. Well, I, again, to step back, I started my first novel in about 1985-86 and did research for a year because back then you had to go to the library and look stuff up. Now you can ask your phone and you just know. And so my stories are packed with accurate information thanks to my phone now. But back then it took took a year of research and because it had a lot of genetics involved. And so I typed it out on an, I think it was an Underwood manual typewriter. Mm, love that. Uh, 320 or 30 pages. Took another year just about and a lot of that whiteout. So <coughs> I was thrilled to discover Microsoft Word and uh, it has made life a lot easier. But that's, I started with the stories at the same time I was doing song lyrics. And uh, since then, I have, I have redone that one story. And I consider that really my most complete story. It's called Sion, and it's a science fiction story about a group of explorers or, or people on a colony ship that get waylaid and then crash on this barely hospitable planet. And it's just... It's one of my favorite things. But now since then, since science fiction, I have written a, uh, a spiritual fantasy. Uh, in fact, it's based in, in Nashville called Minstrel of the Mist. Mm. I have written a romance uh, called um, Robert David Michael's Key West Adventure about love at first sight. And can he survive that? So, uh, <laughs> And then uh, I've got some short stories one collection of short stories already out there and then two or three other novellas. It, it seems like my, my best length of a story is a novella. Okay. A little bit more than a short story and, you know, not quite the complete hero's journey for the full novel, I guess, or, or a condensed version of the journey. But I, I'm writing a second installment to that uh, romance story. Uh, now, I've got it to the point where I've had a, a few folks read it and give me suggestions, and, and Betsy's going over it with her red pen. <laughs> and um, The looks, best critic you have. It looks pretty brutal. Yeah. yeah. Well, she'll always ask me, are you sure Sure, you want me to do this? <laughs> <laughs> yes, ma'am. <laughs> yes, I do. Uh, but are you, if I'm understanding, are you doing like the e-books? I am. Okay. I, I've, I've chosen Kindle Direct Publishing because that allows me to uh, take care of the editing, and, and they don't charge an arm and leg to get it on their side. By the other uh, side of it, uh, I am uh, with Kindle Unlimited, so mm -hmm. that if you have Kindle Unlimited, you can read most of my stories for free. Yeah, All, yeah. The, all the new ones are for free uh, with Kindle Unlimited. And I had a friend that had come here that Judy and I became friends with years ago, 
that was based on St. George Island, Dawn Lee McKenna. And sadly, she has passed away, but she was a delight to inform young authors about the Mm e-publishing, saving that money from the the big Mm -hmm. middlemen or middle people, uh, you know, doing that, getting it out there like she talked about, same as you, Kindle Mm -hmm. Unlimited, great audience. And it's it's fascinating to see where publishing has, has gone and the success can be there. Right. At, uh, at at the different levels, so I'm excited. I've, uh, I've actually used uh, a, a thing called Midjourney. It's an artificial intelligence to design covers for a couple of my stories. Mm-hmm. I don't. I think AI is going to be so significant in our lives, mm-hmm. and it's coming on like a freight train. I think, and we don't know what's going to shake out on that. But but you can get. Uh, and AI to help you write your book, to proofread your book, to do a cover for your book. And that's just in the writing part. There are all kinds of business AIs that, that will help in, since I don't have a business, I don't care, but they, they can do all that kind of stuff. And I just, I worry that they're, they're going to get so good so fast that uh, a human writer is not even going to be required. No, that was my next question. Seriously. I mean, yeah. and, and luckily, being retired, I'm not depending on this for a living, yeah. but I, I do still have a couple of ideas that I'd like to, you know, get pushed out there before the world is taken over uh, by, what, what was it, Skynet? You know, I've I watched these news items, and it's like, these people never watch the movie Terminator, but they <laughs> not know what's going to happen. At the end, yes. Well, and they'll replace us as podcasters and people at the radio stations yeah. and everything. Yeah, AI is just, whew, I'm, I'm, I'm not technical. I don't understand it, and, but, but I'm delighted you're able to, to do the things that you enjoy, and especially with the, uh, with the idea of the novella versus, you know, like say the longer length. So, but yeah. uh, no, that's great. So, I, I, I don't want to ever push a story. The story has to come to me mm-hmm. and then I become part of the process and it, the writing expresses itself that way. When I try to just sit down and say, well, now let's see, uh, and that never ends well. Isn't that funny though? I mean, I agree. Same thing when I was doing some some songwriting myself, never to the good level you did, but I, you know, we've had fun with these things, but yeah, it's got to come. I mean, you can't just push and say, let's write something. I worked with a, a young fellow that graduated from MTSU with the, his recording degree, singer-songwriter from Arkansas, I think he was. But he got a, a job with a publishing company, with a hired on as a, as a writer. And so talked to him a few weeks after he got started, and I said, well, how's it going? He said, I don't know if I did the right thing or not. I said, what do you mean? He said, we have to turn in 15 songs a week. What? That's what I said. He said, we got, they said, they don't have to be good, but they just, we have to turn in 15 songs a week to maintain our draw because he got a draw against commission or a draw against royalties, I guess. Oh, my. And I thought, you know what? I, that, I, I may not do one song in a month or two. Oh, my. If then. So that kind of pressure, I, I would have folded day one. Well, and two, Steve, let's be realistic. You're going to get a lot of junk out of that. Oh, yeah. Just because they're trying to produce mm-hmm. something for right. somebody where you have the things that hit you, uh, or I would if I were writing something, 
Uh, oh goodness gracious! I can't imagine that. That's yeah. terrible. So yeah, there's the there's the you know part of that process that doesn't get publicized very much. That's awful. But yeah, he had he had four years of college to pay for, and he was he was a, a Dwight Yoakam uh, devotee. He sounded oh. like Dwight Yoakam, and because mm. we'd go out and, and photograph and videotape them at different uh, bars around town, and. Um, oh. <laughs> It was hilarious. You know, he he would play a Dwight Yoakam song and then somebody would yell, play Dwight Yoakam. <laughs> and, and it's like right after they, they played Freebird, somebody, play Freebird. <laughs> Where were you? <laughs> Don't you love an audience? Oh, I've, man. Well, it was common denominator usually. <laughs> and that included us at one you time. Know, yeah, it really I, did. I, but. I've been in that bottom, bottom number. <laughs> <laughs> well, and since I started playing for real with uh, some of these guys around here in, in restaurants of all places and nobody's paying any attention and you may get a pinch of applause and exactly the same thing. Sorry, we just played that two songs ago yeah. if you were paying attention. See, oh. one of the first yeah. gigs we ever did was Ralph and Eddie and I as a three-piece. There was a, a bar down by Parksville Lake called May's Place. Mm. And it was May's place. It was a country bar. And so we got there and we were unloading our equipment. And as I was starting to carry the bass drum in, the, the door opened and the guy gets thrown out, physically thrown out. And he does a barrel roll or two and line, lines up there in the parking lot. Oh my. And the guy looked up and says, welcome to May's place. <laughs> so we get in there and, and during the first break, Guy comes up and he says, "Play, I'm so lonesome I could cry." Because that's when, uh, oh, not yeah. not uh, not the original, but one of the one of our guys sang it, yeah. uh, and I can't remember who it was now. <laughs> but the guy was uh, intoxicated and he <laughs> was not going to take no for an answer. So during our break, we went over to the jukebox and played that song and learned it in three <laughs> minutes, and then went back up on stage and played it because we didn't want to run afoul of that guy. Oh my. What a great story. Um, and and now play them off their phone. Yeah. I mean, or an iPad is sitting yeah. up there and blah, blah, blah. And I'm thinking, oh, you guys are crazy. That's great. Steve, I'll tell you, but I really enjoyed this. We're going to get you back. Well, and, uh, and, and let me just say that uh, I, I wouldn't be, probably wouldn't even be alive if it weren't for Betsy. She yeah. has been my my rock, my, my uh, strong person to turn to for everything. And so as we enjoy our retirement, we, we do several things. You know, we have a project now and then. We build stuff on the carport. We build flower beds. We build fish ponds, that kind of yeah. thing, and, and, and enjoy it all together. Well, you have been very blessed, certainly as I was, to have, uh, as you and I said, to be attached and married to somebody well above our raising. Is that what we used to yeah, say? Yeah, yeah. And so we love our raising, punched over our weight, or whatever they want to say it. But she is one sweet lady and a dear friend, and and I just appreciate y'all's friendship for all these many years. And and like I say, get you back. Anything you want to advise anybody on right now, thinking about the careers you've taken? Well, I know uh, I talked to uh, Judy Davis one time. She was uh, a teacher for thirty plus years, I guess, and she said. Uh, um, I admire you for being able to do all these different things in your work life. And I said, well, basically, I was the ping pong ball or the ball in the uh, billiard thing. 
I was just getting shot around from place to place and, mm-hmm. and managed to find a, a pocket from time to time. I said, but uh, what I did was admire her for being a teacher for 30 mm-hmm. plus years. I said, I just, I find that to a, a monumental achievement. Absolutely. So, you know, if, if you, um, if you're really passionate about something, uh, all I can say is go for it. Don't let fear of failure stop you because if you do, that's guaranteed failure. Mm-hmm. And if you risk it, you might embarrass yourself. So what? Get back up, dust off and do it again. Great advice. Great advice. Appreciate greatly you being with me. Folks, if you have any questions for Steve, as I always say, you can email me at shellgriff at gmail.com. Be glad to get it to Steve, answering a further episode. But basically, I'm going to have him back. We're going to talk about some other things that uh, he and I have come across. And, and as I do all the time, I wish each of you a safe and healthy day. And I'll see you a little further up the road.